Thank you for coming. This session is being live streamed on the virtual conference, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. So just um, hands up. This is, who's, this is your first conference here. Oh, my goodness. The most of you, this is your first time. What's interesting about this conference is it's like this all the time. Like people come. There's always new people coming to the conference, and we're so grateful for that. So my name is uh, Charlie Vidito. I just retired in April from being the missions pastor here at Southeast Christian Church for the last 12 years. My wife and family, we've been members of Southeast for 34 years, something like that. I was always engaged in volunteering with the church through missions. I was a dentist, and I practiced about a mile down the road um, for, uh, for 26 years. And I loved using my dental skills to, to leverage for the kingdom around the world, and even in our own backyard. So it's a privilege to be here with you guys today. Yeah. So let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for um, your presence. Lord, uh, you're a God that longs to uh, have a deep abiding relationship with us. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, for the way you love, the way you uh, show your grace and mercy to us. Lord, we feel it. We're, we're grateful. We know we can look in the mirror and uh, we're full of faults. But when you see us, you see us as you see your son Jesus clothed in Christ. And we thank you for that. So we pray for this morning that Holy Spirit, you would take over, that you would facilitate this this time together. Lord, um, give me ears to hear you and what you want to share uh, through me today. So I need your help, Father. And I just pray for all of us attending this conference that we would hear your voice, that we would respond to the thing you're calling us to, and that we would be obedient in that, not leaning on our own Abilities, but only leaning on you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you uh, for the blood that was shed for us. And uh, we thank you for this time to get together and talk about just how great you are and what you're up to around the world. So we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, this talk is about the shift that's taken place in missions around the world. And I hope to bring up a couple of my close friends from India to share their experience uh, and how to engage the Western church. Who heard Florence's talk on the plenary talk? Yeah, about half of you heard. That's a good one because Dr. Florence um, is on the cutting edge of missions around the world. She leads an organization called Life in Abundance in East Africa that works in 14 countries. Most of the countries they work in are closed countries. So the work is very challenging and difficult, and but extremely fruitful. Life in Abundance has been a partner with Southeast Christian Church for over 20 years. We started out working with Florence and Festus when it was just Florence and Festus being missionaries to Ethiopia. And it's grown over the last 20 years into a, a significant organization that's empowering the church among the poorest of the poor. So we have learned a lot from 
life in abundance and from our partnerships that we have uh, around the world. So Doug Cobb did a great job. Who saw that one yesterday? Was that powerful? That guy is about as sharp as they come. So the present state of things are, um, he, explained very, he explained very well. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of young people in here. Um, you guys will see that there's no more unengaged, unreached people groups left. You will see every language, language having the Bible in their heart language. This is unheard of and unprecedented in our times. Um, Bible Translation Ministries, there's 11 of them, came together, and they think they can get the New Testament in every heart language in 11 years. It's rapidly accelerating. I just talked to the president of uh, Pioneer Bible Translators, and they might do 150 translation projects a year. In the past, now they're doing 350. That's a dramatic, rapid increase. So it's going to usher in the return of Jesus, and we're just super grateful for that. Um, The fruit of our forefathers, sometimes we kind of pick on missionaries of the past, right? You know, they did this, they were paternal, they they did. We all mess up, and we all think we hear the Lord well, and sometimes we just don't. But the fruit of their work is amazing. What did Florence say? 650 million Believers in Africa alone, that doesn't include China and India and what God has done over the last 200 years to, uh, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, as this global shift takes place, just a review, 85% of Christians lived in the U.S. and Europe in 1900. Now it's down to 33%. That's a major dramatic shift. So I think it requires us to take another look at how we partner and how we go together. One of the things that um, Jesus prayed for us, right, was that we would be one as as he was one with the Father. He says in John that the, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. It's pretty simple evangelistic outreach, actually. People are looking for relationship and they're looking for um, people loving one another. It's interesting. I do a lot of short-term trips. I'll talk about that later. But when uh, a North American goes to Africa or India and and that community sees a white-skinned person with all these skills and expertise and affluent and money, but when they see that white North American passing on skills to their to their countrymen, that's a powerful message just in itself. It says, wait a second, these white folks are they're trusting us to do these things that maybe in the past they did for themselves. And um, so there's a lot of subtle, powerful messages in healthcare that will change the world, honestly. And we don't even know we've done it. So it's a beautiful thing. Okay. The church is present in a lot of places. I shared a story about a closed country in East Africa I was visiting, and I got to visit at least five churches. And this is a Islamic nation, and they have to be careful. They're very guarded, but they're there. About 
four years ago, I'm at this conference. I'm walking through the exhibit hall, and I see this nation that these these guys are serving in this nation with healthcare, and and it was a little bit of an old school booth. You know, it showed the broken arms and the healed wounds, and you know, it's kind of gross actually. But they were doing some great work, helping a lot of people. So I said, "Oh wow! So how long have you guys been in this country?" Oh, 25 years. Why, why are you here at the conference? We're recruiting nurses and doctors to come and serve with us in this nation. Awesome. So I guess they hear the gospel when they come in for help. Oh, yeah, everybody hears the gospel. And some receive Christ. Oh, yeah, and some receive Christ. Okay. So how do you connect them to the local church in this close country? And he said, What? There's no local church in this country. And I thought, oh my goodness. I was just there. I saw five of them. And you're not connected doing this great work of helping them significantly with their health care issues. And they're not. And you don't even have a relationship with the local church. So that's a problem. We have to go as a body of Christ, right? So, um, but that's. Maybe 25 years ago there was no local church there, but now there is. So that's why we need to go together in order for Americans to be able to see where the church is because we have a hard time finding it. But our friends from East Africa can, can take us right to those local churches. So that's a, that's a significant shift that's taking place. That's why we have to go together because we all have our blind spots, right? The ear can't see, and the eye can't hear. That's why they need each other. So the, 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 the verse around the body of Christ working together is a significant verse of this day and time. And God um, made that crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, so let's talk about the Great Commission. We know about that. We know about the Great Commandment. But who has heard of the Great Concern? Raise your hand. One, there's one hand that kind of went up a little bit. So um, I'm going to leave. Sorry about that. I got to get I'll Bob because I got to read this verse. Sorry. The great uh, commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The great commission is go. can't do those separately. They have to be in unison. But let me add the great concern, which is from Matthew 25. Now the scene is set for the return of Jesus. This is probably the most, this is, this is the moment we're all waiting for. And now it's come. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Just picture that for a minute. Okay, Jesus is back. Okay, now it's time to settle the score. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. 
for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you, when did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit? The king replied, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to the those on his left, you know what happens to those on the left? It's eternal fire. So this is what we call the great concern. And it's, uh, in order to be super effective in ministry, we have to do all three. Like the woman that was struggling with bleeding, that was her great concern, right? And Jesus healed her. The blind man that couldn't see, Jesus healed. So we have to be um, tuned in and meet people where they are to address these great cons- the great concern. Now, the great concern is just a partial list. This list could go on for pages. Um, maybe our babies were dying in our community and we didn't know why. And you came and you helped us. Or there was no access to dental care and you came and you showed us how to take care of our our own dental problems. There was uh, no economic development in our community, and you helped us to to develop that way. And and so the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and the Great Concern done together is the gospel. If we just do the Great Commission, we tend to make projects out of people, right? I need to bring you to faith, and if if we all did the great commandment, we'd all be monks. If, if, if we just did the great concern, it would only be social justice. So when somebody is hungry and we feed them, but we, we don't stop there. And so sometimes Americans read the scripture in a compartmental way because that's the Western way we look at things. And so I would say, I would advocate that we do all three, three of these things together. So I shared yesterday that in this city, Uh, 45% of single moms live in poverty. That's an atrocious statistic. There's 600 churches in our city, and 45% of single moms live in poverty? How can that be? That just doesn't make sense. If the church is the church, we have to be relevant to our community and meet the needs that are there. The... The power of unity is uh, amazing. Again, I talked about the blind spot, but Florence talked a lot about it, how we, we submit to one another. Jesus prayed that we would be one. So this is the shift. Um, in the past, we would go as the West with the affluence, the skills, the, the money, the know-how to go to, to foreign lands, but that has all changed. In Kenya alone, Forty years ago, there was one medical school in Kenya. Now there's 15 medical schools in Kenya. So they're producing doctors like crazy. Um, When we look at a map, we don't have it this year, but there's a map every year that 
we ask every participant to put a dot on that country where you're working. And, and so when we do that, the nation of Haiti is overflowing. The nation of Kenya is completely blocked out. Um, the, the nation of Kenya is close to 80% evangelical. Well, not evangelical, but Christian. So we keep going as a church back to the same places where the gospel's already been. And, uh, but the goal now is many places in India and Africa and Southeast Asia, which used to be a mission field, is now a mission force. This is the shift that's taken place. And so how do we, as Westerners, as the global north, partner in a way that is going to make us so much more effective than, than we've been in the past. <clears throat> so one of the, the things that's fundamental for a, a church to succeed is if you can picture that a church is a furnace of fire, a, a furnace of prayer. And so um, I'm not really surprised when I, I was on a church staff for 12 years. I'm not really surprised that Christianity is on the downturn in the U.S. because we've lost our fire for prayer in the U.S. and the Western church, honestly. Not so much so in the African church. Very much not so in the African church. There's a ministry. Did you guys, uh, there's a brother, Daniel, whose ministry is in Nigeria. All they do is witness to Islamic leaders uh, in that country. So you can imagine the spiritual warfare that's going on with them. They start every year with 40, day, 40 days of, past, past, of fasting and prayer. Uh, Life in abundance, every Monday they pray and fast. Um, so prayer is really what propels us, which um, mobilizes God to go to work. And, and the, the church in the West can learn a lot from, from the world about uh, being that furnace of prayer. The other thing, too, is one of the mistakes we used to make in, in ministry is that we would um, not, we would go and we'd address a physical need and leave it at that. And then we might um, share the gospel, um, which is good. But I think God requires much more of us than that. And, and so we have to address the whole person emotionally, socially. Spiritually and physically. For example, in the U.S., racism is a big issue. The enemy will use anything to divide, and he uses racism to do that. In Africa, it's tribalism. So that's a social issue that the church should be engaged in, in the center of, to reconcile that. And, and sometimes we're afraid to touch that uh, as the church because of the political ramifications. But when we address it in prayer, God will move. So uh, a felt need in a community, the community uh, wants to know what's the church doing for us? Um, and why are you here? And so it's important to know the community so well that you can address the need in that community. And, and um, I'll just give you a little example here in the U.S. So um, kids are really struggling in school, especially through COVID. Emotionally, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. So the school system in a neighboring county said, well, you come 
And um, could you mentor some of our, just send a church member to spend an hour a week with a student or a group of four students. This is the community telling us how to minister to them. So, a matter of fact, we'll even give you a $75,000 grant to kick it off. And so we started doing that. Now it's expanded to five counties. There's 150 mentors serving every week on a regular basis, loving these kids um, in significant ways. And the school now notices what's different about these kids. Why are they... Why is their attendance better? Why is their, their test scores better? Why are they no, they're, they're being taken to the principal's office less? It's because the church is engaged with those kids at that level. Traditionally, the church has, our church invests in crisis pregnancy centers, and rightfully so. We, we should be there when a, a, a young girl or a young man are pregnant at 14 or 15 and they're not married. And we should help them through that process. But where is the church when that child was six or seven years old? Maybe we could have prevented that crisis in that child so that they don't have to go through that. And so we just, we have to open our eyes. And so I'm not surprised that, and this is a common thing for me when I talk about the great concern, people like, I don't even know what that is. But God calls us to be relevant to our community and the church should do that. So when we think about the global church, um, we want to help them as the Western church to be more relevant to their community and how they serve. So the church in any community should be the hero. So like we have a, uh, our city is divided into east and west and south. There's really no north because there's a hot river. But West Louisville traditionally has been a black, the black community, and that's where the highest, the poverty is, the crime rate's the highest. And so a lot of times we want to go there and help and try to make a difference, and we'll go in there with our own ideas and our own parachurch organizations, and we think we know what to do. But we stopped that 12 years ago, and we only work through the local church in that community. And we, we have other ministries that we work with, but we connect, we want that local church to be the hero. And, uh, there's a church we work with in West Louisville. We surveyed a three block radius, 129 abandoned homes in a three block radius around this church. Can you imagine? Like every third or fourth home is, is about to fall down. And living in a community like that, when you have to look at that and it's a place where people can hide, bad people can hide out, so we said, what if we partnered with a ministry like Fuller Center and we help rebuild these houses together? Now, people that go to this church don't have to rent anymore. They can live in the community and they can have a house that will appreciate and their mortgage will be far less than the rent they're paying. So that's a beautiful way of churches partnering together to make an impact on a community because housing was a big issue in that community. So that's just one example. So what what I want to talk about today is um, the different ways we can serve. So all of these listed up here, I've done except I've not served long term. Now, as a missions pastor of this church, we had a hundred missionaries that we supported around the world. So because of this this global shift, the opportunity to serve 
has actually dramatically widened. You can really create your own pathway that God has kind of prepared for you to do. You don't, you don't necessarily have to go long-term. You're called to go long-term? Absolutely. But there's other ways to engage in ministry today. So, the, the success of short-term missions is dependent on the relationship between the Western organization and the partner wherever you're going, whether, whatever nation that is. If that relationship is strong and it's easy to say yes and it's easy to say no and you accept that and the receiving organization doesn't feel like they're compelled to do uh, to host a short-term trip, trip, then that's a healthy relationship. So in 2006, it's a $1.6 billion business, short-term missions. And uh, so you, you've heard the, the horror stories of sending folks and um, we're painting a house for the third time this summer. Or we're um, doing things that people can do for themselves. And uh, it's not healthy. Um, and Haiti is a great example of that. And so we have to we have to have a new approach, which involves partnership. So I'm going to tell you in healthcare, short-term missions is extremely successful when we go and we pass on healthcare skills. And so that that's kind of my story. I, I would go and I would do dentistry all over the place, and one day I was confronted by, the, by a friend, and the Holy Spirit's like. You're leaving people behind like crazy. Is this the way God would really want you to do this? So I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. So 18 years ago, we, sw- we switched from going and doing dentistry to going and training how to do dentistry in frontier areas. Now, when I say frontier areas, I mean areas that are heavily Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, animist, and we go to the church in those communities and we, we train the church on how to extract abscess teeth, how to do dental hygiene with the same Cavitron ultrasonic cleaner that we would use here. All the instrumentation is the same. I'd use in my own dental practice. And so when we put these skills in the hands of our brothers and sisters around the world, oh my, amazing things happen. And I want to have a couple of friends share a little bit about their experience with that shortly. But um, that's exciting. So you can be extremely effective on short-term missions if you're going and you're training in frontier areas how to, how to for the church to be more relevant to its community. So um, the other advantage of short-term missions is um, 35 years ago, one of my first trips, uh, meet Miss Lena. So it's my first trip. I'm totally disoriented. What's going on? So a couple of my friends said, hey, we're going to go visit this widow. Come with us. I said, oh, where are you going? I don't know what's going on here. Okay. I'm just totally like, don't know what. I'm just, I'm just following. So we go to this wood hut, uh, 10 by 10, um, hut in Jamaica. And people start banging on this door. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, what is this? Oh, Miss Lena's in there. So they're bang, bang, bang. Nobody answers. Bang, bang, bang. Nobody. So finally, somebody just pushes the door open. And we, we walk in, about four of us. And there's a lady laying in the bed. 
that's really old. So somebody goes over and shakes her, and she instantly she starts to, she's real groggy, but she starts saying things, and she's singing, and she's singing a hymn. So finally they brought some insure to give her, and they gave her some. So she starts to get her blood sugar up, and she starts to get rolling, and then he finally sit her up in the bed, and um, they brought these pruning shears, like medical pruning shears. These were like, you guys are used to it, I'm not in medicine, but these are significant. They cut whatever. They look like rangeurs or something we would use. Like, what are those for? She sits up in her bed, and she puts her feet on the floor, and her toenails are like four inches long. Like, oh my goodness, that's nasty. And uh, a physician friend of mine gets on his knees and he takes these rangers and he starts trimming her toenails. That image will forever be in my heart of service. This guy had a really super successful practice in, in Louisville and he goes there and he's trimming this poor widow's toenails. Finally, she wakes up a little bit, and people, what's the question, right? And Selena, how do you, how do you get food? You're, you've got a few pots here. What's going on? How, what is this? She goes, oh, it's really simple. I just pray to God, and he'll send you guys, or he'll send a neighbor, and they'll bring a pot of chicken or whatever, so God provides for me. Okay, that mission trip cost me 600 bucks to go 35 years ago. Money. Forever I will remember. That's faith. That's faith. So uh, that's another value of, of, of mission trips. So why don't we do this? Why don't I bring my friend Caleb up? He's from Hyderabad, India. He has about 75 pastors that serve in his ministry and churches. And each one of those pastors could have three or four churches. He also has a school to raise up Indian uh, children to make a significant difference in the kingdom. <clears throat> One of them is now attending the University of Chicago. And that, that's no slouch. It's not easy to step into that university. So that's the significance of the school. But what I'd like for him to share is from his perspective, what has short-term PEAMS been for him and what does partnership look like for him and to speak to this global shift in ministry. Thank you, Caleb. This is Caleb Rayapati. Yes. Well, uh, if you need, did clap. So, what did you need? Two hands. Make a song. I sense the partnership that Charlie is trying to articulate is also the same. It's not one-way traffic. It's two-way traffic. And that's what I have experienced as um, um, someone who partnered with Southeast and Empower Ministries. Their teams came. Well, when they came, they equipped us. But it was not... Um, they are not the ones. But then there was another way... Um, they also received from us. They learned from us. And uh, I would like to focus on that, Charlie. Um, they came and trained our pastors, dentistry. Um, 
And now these pastors are excelling to the extent they are looked up by the local communities. They are recognized as pastors who can also bring healing um, to the communities. In fact, some of the medical practitioners of those towns and villages send uh, dental cases to our pastors. How about that? I will it's no exaggeration, and Charlie is right in front of me, and he can um, defend himself. These guys have gone to such an extent, they are now training. I don't invite Charlie anymore. Honestly, he does not even come and see me. That's the bad side of it. These guys have, are so skilled, they have them come work alongside them to teach. Like um, Schenker is here. You can find out from him. So our guys work alongside with them and teach. In fact, um, when they have some bad teeth, these guys back out. They allow my guys to do that. So this is exactly, to me, is partnership is all about. It's not just one way you come and teach, preach, and then leave you, uh, and then go back. No. We take it, we use it, and then we run with it. That's why. I, I would like to state one more instant. Um, um, when actually Charlie uh, wanted to bring this, I was very, very, very apprehensive, very, very pessimistic. Um, though I'm like Caleb of the Bible, I love challenges, I attempt big things, but uh, having these grassroots pastors that I work with doing dentistry, um, something I had no peace. I began to check with some of my doctor friends that I work with. Is it possible? They all said, no, please stay away from it. But I could not say no to this big church, mega church, wanting to come and partner with me. So I had my own selfish interest in that, so I had them come. The best part is they said one week they're going to train. Three days of training and three days they have to go and do the, um, do the extractions themselves. Look very, very tough and challenging. But then lo and behold, I've seen it and um, I say I'm amazed and uh, it is possible. So that's the power of partnerships. And... Um, I'm a living example to that in my own ministry that is impacting people in my province. How is the gospel shared in that process? How do the pastors share the gospel as they're treating these patients? Um, did you give me a time? Yeah, just I have two free questions for you. That's one. Um, I can go endlessly and share so many instances. We have had, I mean, basically pastors when they give shots um, and then that's the time it takes about whatever time it takes that's when they open up a conversation uh, to them about Christ 
it could be about a local situation or um, how they're looking and um, what they're doing. Uh, but then the, it's so smooth, eventually. At one point of time, I, uh, one pastor, I was in a camp, I was talking to the community leaders, and my pastor came running to me. And then um, I said, what, what happened? What went wrong? So he said, come see. When I went, I saw a guy on the dental chair crying. I thought they messed up with him. I said, what? He's a teacher by profession. He came to get his tooth extracted, but we shared the gospel with him, and he accepted Jesus right now. And we had a Hindu, Hindu Swami. He was very hesitant because he's from a high caste. He was hesitant to come and sit on this chair um, with these pastors who he thought were all some locusts. But then his pain was so, so excruciating, he couldn't put up with that. Finally, towards the end of the camp, he came and sat. And then um, our pastor gently once again picked up a conversation with him, and he was talking to him, and then bang on the table, he also surrendered his life to Christ. So, are you saying, this is good, because that's first I heard this big mega church came to us, and I had to do it because they said to. Like, that's counter to what I just said. So, can you say no? Um, it's hard to say no. <laughs> there you go. This is real, right here, on the spot. Yeah, so that's the challenge, right? Caleb and I have been friends for almost 20 years, and it's still hard for him to say no. Now, I can give him lots of instances where he told me no, but he doesn't remember them, I guess. So. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's the challenge when you go with all the resources that you you got to. But at the same time, he was willing to take a risk. You know, he has a doctor on his staff said, you're going to jeopardize your whole ministry. But also he thought, well, if Charlie says it's okay, maybe it's okay. And so there was a dilemma that he had. So we can try it and see. So one of the biggest challenges, right, what's the Ministry of Health going to say about this? So, yeah. Uh, Can I interrupt? Yeah. So we had to come up with our own ways to take this and run with that. One of those things is to beat how the government would um, uh, scrutinize us. They did scrutinize us, but then we found a way to answer them. So I got all these pastors certified by St. John, St. John's Ambulance Training, a first aid training that certifies them to practice primary uh, first aid things. So mm-hmm. we cover all of this under that. Okay, good. Any questions for Caleb? Yes. It's an international organizations, but then they have the ancillary units all over the country. So, so the government of India recognized the local government, especially this, as a certification. It's taught by Indians, though, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Anything else? Are you getting a feel for what partnership looks like now? This is the trend. This is where we're, we're going. So... 
We do the same thing in medicine. There's a ministry. Who's heard of Teach to Transform? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe 25% of you heard. So out of, you know, we dentists, we kind of lead the way, right? So my friend Tom McKegney, who uh, one of the most humble guys, he would come back from a trip and he said, we saw 5,400 patients in South Sudan. Great. <laughs> 5,400 patients. But what if you had trained the South Sudanese how to do the same thing you did? He goes, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, off he went. And it's amazing what he's doing with medicine. One of Caleb's pastors, I'm going to talk about Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael, great pastor. We tried to train him in dentistry. It was ugly. So we said, Pastor Michael, why don't you just do sterilization? He's honored to do that. So then a medical team came for Caleb, and they gave him a little black bag with the stethoscope, blood pressure cuff, pulse oximeter, all this stuff, and they trained him for a week. So I was visiting Caleb, and I went to Pastor Michael's church. I said, hey, put that blood pressure. I need to take my blood pressure. He couldn't do it. He had the cuff upside down, had no clue where to put the stethoscope. It was funny. But I love this guy. However, his next-door neighbor, Hindu, the little girl, six years old, is really struggling. And finally, Pastor Michael's wife says, go see her and see what's going on. I think you can help her. Well, the parents had spent all their money on Hindu witch doctors spreading chicken blood over her to, to drive this illness away. So he walks over with his little black bag, and he feels her forehead, and she's got a high fever. And he goes, we need to take her to the doctor. So there's a clinic locally. So let's load her on my motorcycle and took the little girl, and she had typhoid fever, and it saved her life. And so you know the rest of the story. Because of the love of Jesus that he demonstrated, this, this family came to Christ. So, But when we put these skills in their hands, and you can do that on a short-term basis, look out. Seriously, look out. So it's great. Anything else you want to add, Caleb? I would like to add one, and then I'll quit. Um, when Charlie first taught our pastors, and when they went out to do the clinics, I was a bundle of nerves. And then I still remember um, Charlie was going around. I was right behind him. And then this one pastor was trying, trying to identify the roots for this molar. And then uh, Charlie asked him, how many roots? He said, three. And then Charlie just brought me aside. He said, no. We will wait. So, another 20 minutes gone by, and this pastor comes running towards us as though he got a huge trophy with that tooth with three roots. I was so wrong. I was Charlie wrong. said, of all the dental training, schooling I did, it is only two. But then God gave him wisdom to discern that it had three roots. I mean, the point that I want to make, brothers and sisters, is there is a God factor in this. It's not just the partnership of two, it's actually three. God is also in it. If you honor God and if you obey, 
you will do mighty dynamic things god will give you wisdom to use where how when excellent thank you caleb thank you very much there's a pastor sunil that is a specially gifted surgeon then we're taking out a tooth and we can't get it out we're working on the patient an hour and a half and there's still a root left because you don't want to leave root tips so there's still a root tip left and um, so all four of us said we couldn't get it out so and the patient's been there two hours and like at one point you know you got to say enough is enough so my friend said Sunil wants to try pastor and myself said, no this patient's been through enough I'll let him try it that rascal got that tooth the rest of the <laughs> So, yeah, lower molars usually only have two roots, but in this case, this molar had three roots. So that's what Caleb, he hangs that over my head all the time. So <laughs> I appreciate that. But Pastor Sunil was riding his motorcycle through a village, and he hit a little boy on the motorcycle. And it's not a village he travels through often. And so in India, when something like that happened, instantly it's street justice. A mob forms what happened here, and they start performing justice. They start shoving Sunil around and... Uh, you know, they kind of usher him up to the chief of police. He comes out of his office and he says, what's going on here? This crowd is formed. He goes, this man hit my little boy, the father said. So the chief of police looks at him and says, doctor, why are you guys hassling him? He's a doctor. What? Yeah, last month my wife was really struggling with this tooth pain and he helped her and now she's out of pain. But you see, when we give these skills to our brothers and sisters in these highly persecuted areas, this is what happens. The, the community sees them differently. This is an amazing gift. These, these folks that we train will often say, it's a miracle. In a million years, I never would have thought I would have had this skill to love people and present the gospel in this way. So here's what happens. And you guys know this. When a patient lays themselves down in a chair, or they walk into, you know, your medical clinic and they, you know, they they bear themselves, or they and they or they lay in a dental chair and they open their mouth. You no longer are casual acquaintances. There's something intimate that happens when somebody says, "Okay, I trust you enough to help help me with this tooth input." That's that's a that's it's a major invasion of their personal space, and when they come out of it. And even that afternoon, they're feeling much better. They want to know what you had to say. And when these guys can say, thank you, when the patient says, thank you, say, no, just thank Jesus for what he did for you. It's he's the one that healed you. I was just an instrument. That's a powerful message in these heavily persecuted areas. So, so protection, it protects our brothers and sisters too because they have this skill. And that's a big deal. One of Caleb's pastors that he worked with would not deny Christ. So the Hindu extremist poured concentrated hydrochloric acid down his throat. And that's how he died. It's serious, serious stuff. And uh, so he died a martyr for his faith. So these guys are facing like amazing persecution. So we're not yet, but we want to help them. Uh, to, to serve your community. So let me invite Shankar, who is from Mumbai, and for him to share a little bit about his experience. So Caleb's right. 
We take a team to Mumbai from Hyderabad, and Caleb's pastors are doing a lot of the teaching. We're used to um, loops and suction and lights and all this stuff. Well, these guys don't have that. They're, and uh, so sometimes they're better teachers than we are because we're dependent on all these other instruments. So Shankar, he um, is among the Binjara people in Western. They're gypsies, right? Yeah. So tell a little bit about who you are and, and uh, how you've used this partnership with the Western church. Thank you, Charlie. Mm-hmm. So, I come from gypsy background. They known as Banjara in India, or 80 million. And when the same happened with me, when I am newly uh, like doing partnership with Southwest Church, and when Charlie approached me, uh, if I'm interested to have dentistry. So as a big church, we don't want to miss any opportunities. And I told Charlie, yeah, of course, we would love to have. And I work among low community income uh, group and gypsies are below poverty in India. And as Charlie talks about great concern, you know, it's not easy. You know, many people, they don't know about Christ in our community. And sometimes they don't know about Jesus. They don't know who is Jesus. Like many people in our community, they think this is kind of a drinks or kind of a any cookies or something. But hard to explain what you know his God. And for my community, I work with the concern is more important. Like you know, helping them with their needs and. When Charlie and Empower Team came and they, you know, they train our pastors with this dentistry skill. And I, I told them, you know, this is something that we are helping our community with their needs. You know, even Mumbai is a big city. It's a financial economic. And almost like 60% people, they live in the slum. And even if they have toothache or any kind of sickness, they don't visit doctor because they cannot afford, you know, afford uh, their fees, and it's expensive. But bringing such a kind of skill to our pastor, I tell them this is not that you know uh, the kind of thing uh, you know that we are not well educated, but you know this, this is a skill. It's an outreach tool. It's it's an evangelical tool for our community. And they started, you know, helping people. And uh, this is like, you know, we made great impact among our community. We are, our, our people, they have a very strong belief. But doing, you know, just, we, you know, helping them with in their sickness, in their pain, Sometimes it's helped us to, you know, share the gospel of Christ. And uh, past almost uh, three years, we have seen growth in our church. You know, our, our pastors, they go to rural area, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, de- dentistry center in particular area. People visit, you know, they get, you know, all kind of uh, treatment of their, their tooth. 
and many they started accept, accepting Christ and started following Jesus. So partnership for me, it's like what Charlie and South is doing with us, not only providing skill. I, I say that you know they are helping us to meet our community need. You know, not we have we are going through a lot of persecution in India, and nowadays nowadays we cannot distribute tracts to our people. But I say like we are the fifth gospel, and bringing these tools, you know, skill. And serve our, serve our community, we are giving a hope to them. So I believe that what Southeast and Charlie uh, have done and what they are doing with our, our team, they are providing uh, evangelical tool and helping us to reach out to our people. So very thankful for them. Excellent. Any questions for Shankar? Yes. So uh, are, are these uh, pastors, are they doing daily it's like we have uh, we do twice a week uh, in every center and we have connected with local doctors like if is there any major extraction so we take help from our local doctors we have done they know they like they are they noticed our work yeah, you know our noble noble work what we are doing. So local doctor, they are helping us in major sickness. So we do twice a week. It's not a, a regular thing, but twice a week we do. They're still pastors. they got to be pastors. We don't want to make them dentists, right? That's your point? That's a good point. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, passionate about disciple making, and I do a lot of a disciple making program with young, especially with the young people. And I, I personally feel disciple making is not teaching, it's not training. It's a relationship and it's lifestyle. And this is lifestyle, you know, you're helping your community. People are seeing you, what you're doing, and that's make big impact among them. They witness others. Once you help them in their need, and they will be witness what you're doing, you know, and the, the word gets spread yeah. Yeah, among them. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Shankar. Thank you. Yeah, so you're no longer casual acquaintances. You can't pass each other on the street and not wave because that patient is your friends. So that's the beauty of it. I think I'm getting a notice that we're almost done. Are there any questions? I think there's some practitioners that just like to do the work. And there's a, some churches that like to send professionals to do work because that's a form of discipleship for them. So, But this is not for the Caribbean. This is only for frontier areas. Where Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism is strong, there's no health care. Where there's Christianity across the globe, there's health care. So this is a powerful tool to use in frontier areas, as it is medicine to use, to, to pass these skills along. So I'm, my, I guess my, the one I think I, the takeaway is, like, in your career, if you're not called to long-term service, build your schedule around Jesus and take these skills that you have and pass them on. Because 
there's thousands of um, brothers and sisters like Caleb and Shankar. I could bring 20 other people up here that would give the same thing, say the same thing, that we just need to come alongside and work with them. And the, and the, the church will be strengthened and, and empowered in the process. This is just one aspect of it. Um, there's other ways to help the church, but this is just, especially in healthcare. And people come to Christ. When we started doing this in northern Ghana, it was, it was like the Jesus film. There was a Muslim guy who drove four hours to have his tooth looked at and fixed. They presented the gospel. He comes to faith. He goes back home, tells his three wives, uh, this is a Christian home now, so you guys decide what do you want to do. <laughs> it's like, okay, you just heard of the gospel. You know, you don't have any roots in Jesus and what's going on. So these... These missionaries would go once a month and he'd spend a day with this guy. And then he started building the church. So this is a beautiful way to church plant. We, uh, our church sends missionaries to Indonesia. So I was there visiting and I'm talking to the Indonesian church leader. I said, what's it like to live in the largest Muslim country in the world? That's what I asked him. He goes, What? Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. <laughs> he didn't even know. He had a massive mega church. Their prayer room was amazing. Mission oriented, praying for different regions of Indonesia. This is out there if we'll look for it. So now these missionaries just went to, su- to support the work of this mega church throughout Indonesia. And so they would facilitate healthcare skills being passed on to these missionaries. So they enter an island. You can't just walk on an island in Indonesia. you got to be invited. Like, who are you? What are you about? But if you bring a skill with you, then you, you're, you're going to be welcome. Especially this kind of skill. Medicine, or, it's amazing. So thanks, guys, for your time today. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Let me pray. Lord, whatever uh, you have for us, um, we surrender. Uh, we surrender all. We, we say you uh, are our God and you have planned our days. You know the end from the beginning. You um, have worked ahead of us. You've prepared a work for us to do. So, Lord, I pray as we come together uh, as a group with a common concern for, for what you're doing around the world in our own backyards, that you would show us the work you prepared for us. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.